0: As the world heads into uncharted territory, business leaders are seeking perspective. The What Now, What Next podcast series features KPMG advisors addressing the issues that are of most concern now and in the near future. Today, we're so pleased to welcome Matt Calkins and Marcus Murph. Matt is the CEO and founder of low-code automation platform provider Appian. And Marcus is a principal in our digital enablement practice here at KPMG, where he helps Fortune 100 organizations leverage technology to transform. KPMG and Appian have been strategic alliance partners for several years and have collaborated to bring intelligent automation solutions to clients worldwide. We wanted to get their input on the issues their clients are facing today and will be facing in the future. Given the current disruption and the changing business models that will result, companies need to be able to adapt quickly to operational challenges. Over the past decade, ambitious technology companies have developed low-code software platforms with pre-built functions, which allow developers with varied levels of expertise to quickly build scalable business applications. The result? Well, organizations are equipped with the power to remain flexible and ensure they can create and deploy new policies and programs quickly and with high visibility across the organization. So as we dive in, I want to start by asking how the two of you are seeing clients react to the sudden changes in operating models over the past few months. Marcus, perhaps we can begin with you and then loop in Matt.
1: So, to start, I think it's good to begin with a bit of history. Think about digital transformation. It really hasn't delivered all of that as promised. And a pandemic like we're dealing with today really begins to highlight some of the problems and the gaps. So, if we think a little bit about the last five, eight years, we've had a lot of promise. We've had a lot of technology, cloud, AI, RPA, data analytics, SaaS. We've had all of these things. And I think what has happened is we've seen them as solutions in and of themselves, but really they're not solutions, they are tools. What's happened is we've seen a lot of clients really run those programs as silo tech projects. And what we're beginning to see in this pandemic is a lot of our clients and a lot of large enterprises are really not as agile and flexible as they need to be. So we start to turn that to perhaps what we're dealing with today. In the short term, what companies are really dealing with right now, it's crisis management. How do we get people back to work? But at the same time, safety is very critical. But we're doing this in a place where this is not static science. Things are changing every day. And there is no rulebook that exists right now. And likely there will be no rulebook. So clients are going to have to live in a place where they need a very flexible digital solution to help them manage through this. And and if you think about it, at the same time, we actually don't believe across the enterprise landscape that the answer will be homogenous company by company. It will actually be different, further increasing the complexity, meaning most clients will do different things. And we're going to have to be ready to react to that in a way that is highly flexible. Then in the long term, what we're beginning to see at KPMG is this crisis is going to be an inflection point for low-code technology as clients and large enterprises come to grips with the need for greater flexibility and agility they're um, beginning to see that there's something missing from the architecture of their digital transformation and just in the last few weeks i've received more inquiries about what am i missing what do i need to do about low code what is low code i mean we're beginning to see this as an inflection point so so there's some goodness that i think is going to come out of this for many of our clients as they begin to see I need something else to begin to unify my technology stack. And I really think this is where low-code is going to really see a huge rise in acceptance across the market. Hey,
2: well, I like where you're going with that, Marcus. I agree with you specifically about the lack of agility in businesses today. We've been talking about it for a long time. We've been talking about transformation and speed, but only now in 2020 have we seen how essential it is for a business to live up to that talk. We've seen episodes in this year where the fate of the business depends upon being able to create a new application, adopt a new pattern of behavior, like a bank has to be able to accept small business loans rapidly, put together an application process for doing that, and then expedite the resolution of those loans. The business depends. The relationship with your customer truly depends on that. We've been saying it for years. Finally, it absolutely was true, and it was true quickly. Right now, the relationship a business has with its employee base depends upon its ability to bring those employees back to work in a safe and considered manner. There isn't a script for this. There isn't an industry for this. Businesses have to react in a unique way and rapidly. I think a year ago, if you had told a business that they might have to build an application upon which their business would depend, they might not have believed you. Because back then, digital transformation was mostly talk, and now we've seen that it can be true, and not only could it be true that your business depends on the next app you build, but you might only have three or four weeks to build that app. And that's a scary prospect for a lot of businesses right now. They're not ready to bet the business on an application that they have less than a month to deliver. This is where low-code comes in. Low-code is a means by which organizations can create a new application quickly, and that application can still be powerful. It can still be the kind of application you would bet the business on. That's what this industry is here for, and I think the spotlight has fallen right on it. I think businesses now understand that they may have to move quickly, and low-code is going to be their vehicle. I believe every business now is looking to create a relationship with a low-code vendor so that they have a means to adapt quickly if it is ever necessary to behave in a truly agile fashion as it now seems that it rapidly could be necessary.
0: Let's drill down a bit deeper into the specifics of what that might look like. Both KPMG and Appian are focused on enabling companies to maintain an employee-first mentality, and that includes helping them create a framework for getting their employees back to work safely. Talk with us about how companies should approach making informed policy decisions when reopening their workplaces.
1: So I think there are some bigger picture considerations around, if I just think about what our clients are wanting to talk about, the big picture considerations are things like the risk to contract. It's different by different individuals. The risk to transmit, it's a variable. It changes. They're thinking about community threat levels. There's a difference in what's going on in New York versus New Mexico, and they've got to incorporate all of those things, and that's just an example to begin to say, what are the risks to my employees, and how do I actually manage through this? Now, there's also a whole lot of tactical questions. If I think about a lot of the things we're hearing, I'll give you a few examples. Who needs to be in the office? Where should we open offices first? What information do I need from my clients before I actually have them come back into the office? Then managing through state, local, county, federal considerations. There's a tremendous amount of complexity here because actually, if you are a single enterprise in a single jurisdiction, This will be a lot easier for you. If you are in multiple states or even perhaps global, this gets really complicated very quickly. In fact, if you just think about all of those different considerations, they're exponential permutations. You're talking about thousands of permutations across all these jurisdictions that you need to be ready to react to. Again, just therefore increasing the complexity. Clients are asking a lot of questions about privacy, health information. What can, what can we not do? And they're also starting to think about what happens if there's another outbreak? Are we going to be ready for the next one? the real challenge here is the answer to these questions is dynamic these responses will change every day and we're not living in a world where the answers are static and clients have to be ready to respond to this and again i think what's happening here is it exposes a real problem with some of the technology that we have in our um, enterprise today and it just again points to this need that we are going to need a flexible digital solution to be a part of solving this problem of getting our employees back to work. And perhaps most importantly, I think most clients are actually beginning to see that what we're talking about now will transcend COVID-19. What I mean by that is this is likely not the last pandemic we're going to deal with. So as we go through all of these complicated questions and working through the answers, we're trying to solve for the immediate problem, but I do believe in what I'm seeing in the market is clients are beginning to see that I'm not just solving a problem for COVID-19. I'm beginning to get ready for the next time.
2: I think what we're seeing here is an example of the new normal. We're going to have to build an application. Every organization is going to have to build an application to get their employees back to work. These organizations have unique circumstances, so the apps are going to have to be unique. Some of them have an urgency about getting people back to work, so it has to be done quickly. And finally, The application has to be important, right? This is not a trivial application, and it won't be built by a power user. It's going to be something the corporate entity has to bet its relationship on with its own employees. So this is an important, essential application. We've never in the past seen such a frequency of important, rapid, unique applications being demanded, but this is the new normal. And so it's a challenge for low code. And I think a lot of businesses are turning to low-code in order to solve it. I really like what Marcus said about the importance of information, not just treating everyone as if their health profile and circumstance is the same. The more you know, the safer you can be. Who needs to be at work? That's a good question. Who has reason why they should be specifically not in on the same day as somebody else? Let's get some more data and protect it. Privacy is still important. Safety is important. Let's be sure we fulfill both objectives. I believe we should be gathering detailed information and then defending it in a HIPAA-certified cloud where that information is safe and not distributed, but, but just drives an algorithm. Once we get this together, we need to make it easy for employees to use and still protect their privacy, and we need to bring in the other factors like testing if necessary. A lot of institutions, a lot of schools, for example, are going to rely on testing in order to keep their student base safe A lot of organizations are going to feel that's a necessary component. They're going to be doing centralized testing. That also may be part of the application. I would shy away from using typical contact tracing. I know there's been a lot of talk about contact tracing, but I believe that it's flawed for a couple of reasons. First, it's liable to give you too many false positives. Because people walk within six feet of each other all the time, and it's very unlikely they transmit a virus when they do that, but contact tracing is going to record it, you're going to end up with so many possible contact moments between people that almost all of those are going to be meaningless incidents and they'll create a state of paranoia more than a state of safety. Secondly, contact tracing will actually leave people feeling unduly reassured for the fact that it never gives you a warning when you go to a place from which you could have contracted the virus. Precautions at the level they are right now, with people wearing masks and being careful not to cough or sneeze. We are less likely than before to get COVID from a person and more likely as a percentage of likelihood to get it from a doorknob or a place that we go. And so contact tracing has focused on person to person and ignored person to location. I think that's a mistake. You got to think about locations as much as we think about people, if you're going to do tracing. I'm in favor of tracing, but I don't want to do the straight ahead Bluetooth contact tracing alone. I don't think that would be effective very important to protect people's privacy, very important to roll this out in an effective and considerate way quickly. And uh, you really see how businesses are having to rally around this new challenge. Nobody's the same. I like to say it's like the Y2K industry. It's an overnight industry. And in our case, it's like Y2K if we'd only discovered there was a problem in the autumn of 1999. Now everyone's going to have to come up with a solution and we're going to have to do it exceptionally quickly. And this is driving an interest in technologies like low-code and like some prepackaged offerings that I'm seeing on the market now. Businesses need to react quickly in a customized way.
0: As we talk about reopening workplaces, I've got to imagine that the process won't be entirely without missteps. As companies are getting started on this journey, what stumbling blocks do you anticipate they might face? And are there ways that they might be avoided or overcome? Matt, let's start with you on this one. Okay.
2: Okay. Stumbling blocks. It is important for every organization who's bringing their workforce back needs to think first about the pattern with which they want their workforce to reenter the workplace. I've seen a lot of different models today. One company I spoke to is dividing their whole workforce into an A team and a B team, and those teams aren't allowed to be in the same place even after hours. I've seen others that are rotating their workforce into place so that you could be in the office for a few days and then others would be for the other days. Still other workplaces are returning in tranches. Like Appian, for example, has put just 10% of its people in the first wave. It's going to start relatively soon. And so we're going to be operating our offices at 10% capacity and then slowly inching it upwards from there. There's a reason why you might want to rotate people in. Partly, that allows you to have two maybe essential personnel in the office at different times, but they would have worked too closely together, been in the same space had they been there on the same day. So you're just going to rotate to make better use of that office. Another reason would be to get people back into the feeling of the workspace because there are just mental wellness issues about being away from work for all this time. And then there's something to be said for internships or people who benefit from exposure To the workplace. They want to see it and they don't need to be there all the time, but they've got to witness it and participate in order to feel like they're involved. So there's different reasons for different businesses. Manufacturing has different challenges from education. So number one, a business has to decide how it wants to do this. And when you do make that decision, you've got to consider not just your employees, but your facilities. If you've got an assembly line, if you've got a manufacturing plant, if you've got a classroom, you've got to think about which of these facilities can handle a load and how much it can handle and how you're going to keep people safe within that. What I'm saying here is that the first step, really the very first step in the process, is a unique step. Every business has got to introspect, consider their unique factors, their resources, their facilities, and realize a strategy that makes sense for them. And everybody's going to have a different answer here. And when they proceed to the next step, which is automating it or creating an application that allows them to return to work their way, they got to find an application that allows them the flexibility to do the unique plan that they've just come up with that was right for them.
1: So when I think about stumbling blocks, I think about a few. The first and perhaps the most obvious is Some are not going to agree with our premise here, which is a big part of this response requires a flexible digital solution like a low-code platform. I do worry that what's going to happen is some are going to just throw people at this or they will throw spreadsheets at this. and I do think they will find that that doesn't get it done the way they would like it to get done. And frankly, it doesn't prepare them for when something like this happens next. So I think that is perhaps the most obvious one that stands out.
2: I agree with you that organizations are tempted to run the return to work from a spreadsheet. They're tempted to do that because a spreadsheet is something they are comfortable with. They're gonna throw human hours and basic tools at this, and I wanna say they should not do that. A spreadsheet is the wrong tool to run your return to work because it is far too slow to react, right? The safety depends on being able to react quickly to patterns in the data. If you've got a person who's reporting a sickness you want to react quickly and be sure that the people that they were in contact with don't come in to work the next day. You can't be fast enough on a spreadsheet. And then secondly, a spreadsheet is not an appropriate place to store the health and personal data that you will have to collect in order to have a full range of considerations when you make your decisions about who should come to work. However you decide to approach the problem of bringing your employees back to the workplace safely, it should have a few common elements. It should have, at a minimum, a login for every employee every morning where they can say, here's how I feel. It may be also to say, here's who I met with yesterday or here's where I went, but a basic check-in and then a basic response, which is come to work or don't come to work. And if you can't power that kind of responsiveness from the technology that you are choosing to return your employees to work, then you're not returning them
1: to work safely enough
2: and a spreadsheet doesn't do it.
1: Second one in my mind is paralysis. There's just so many unanswered questions, so many policies, so many different executive leadership opinions. This is so fluid that the makings are perfect for paralysis, a so really failure to act and failure to make decisions. And you know, I absolutely think that is a stumbling block that likely many are dealing with Right now, and there's a lot of good reasons. There's a lot of fear in the system. Safety is paramount. We want to do this right. At the same time, I worry a little bit about paralysis. The third one on my mind is just think about the broader employee base. Their opinions are changing every day as well. This is so fluid, and we have to be able to react to what our employees are thinking. And I do think that is going to again inject a version of a stumbling block into the system. And then perhaps the last one on my mind is. What I have experienced with clients over the years with digital solutions, generally speaking, companies want to do what they've seen other companies be successful doing. They ask questions like, what are others in my industry doing? What are others perhaps not in my industry but of the same size company doing? They like to fast follow. This is not true for everybody. Absolutely not, right? We have plenty of tech leaders that are willing to blaze the trail, but many, if not most enterprises, want to observe. Well, that's gonna be pretty tricky because you're going to see a lot of companies acting, but they're going to be doing it in their own way that cares for their own unique considerations. So there's not gonna be this standard where you're going to be able to fast follow. Again, I think all of those stumbling blocks just inject a new level of uncertainty and could create some slow decision-making as we work our way through this. And I think the answer to this is you have to respond to this crisis as a journey. You have to respond in phases you need to start with the things you know and begin to iterate on the solution which is why we're so passionate about really saying there is a digital low-code solution that is needed here because if companies wait for the perfect answer it will absolutely impede progress facing this as a journey and not a destination will be fundamental
0: the two of you have logged a lot of time listening to clients I'd be interested if you can share examples of how companies are embracing low code through these times. Matt, this is your wheelhouse, so we'll start with you. And then, Marcus, when you share, I'm curious if you'll also speak to what you're hearing from our clients and how their needs are evolving during this time. Matt?
2: Yep. This is a time when organizations need a unique application to handle a unique unforeseen circumstance. That application has to be created quickly, and it has to be important because they're betting the business on it. This is a perfect time for low-code. And by the way, I know there are some who believe that low-code is only for trivial applications, for simple things. That is clearly not the case. It's not the kind of low-code that Appian does. There is low-code that helps you build the most important applications in your business, and those have been the kind of applications that people have been thinking about during the COVID crisis. We've seen the two most well-received product launches in the history of our company in the past three months. The first one was a launch for businesses to manage COVID and their health response within the own company. And then the second one was about bringing their employees back to the workplace. In that first application, we had subsidiary of the National Health Service in the United Kingdom, for example, used that technology to track the help of their workers in Southeast London, track the help of the people who had left hospital beds in order to make room for others to be sure that they did not get, they did not fall ill after they departed, and what they call the shielded population, take care of the people who, if they got sick, it would be very bad. So the elderly, the vulnerable, they would track those people and be sure they weren't unnecessarily exposing themselves to visitors or trips to the shopping market, everything like that. This was all created rapidly from Appian's basic covid safety application with a few extensions for the unique circumstances that the National Health Service faced. As a result, they were able to get just the application they needed. It was a serious application, people's health depended upon it, and it was in place rapidly. There's also one of the top 10 healthcare providers in the United States also used it in order to get some of their patients into an experimental drug program. We've been used by one of the biggest banks in the world. When we do this return to work, we're partnering with the University of South Florida, one of the 10 largest universities in the country, in order to bring their students back to campus as safely as possible. And it's going to be a very complete solution. They're going to do testing. They'll be carefully monitoring where students go and who they contact. And, and they're doing all they can to be sure that, that education can continue in a state of health and safety for the students and for the teachers. So I've seen rapid adoption of low-code technology in order to create applications which fit a unique circumstance, do something unanticipated, and which are themselves very important.
1: What I find really interesting is how we're seeing the digital dialogue change because of this crisis, and it's changing quickly. So I thought I'd share a few themes of the kinds of things we're hearing from our clients. They're saying things like, I need to build applications in days and weeks, not months and years right, you would expect in a pandemic. Secondly, they're saying things like, I need tremendous flexibility. My requirements will likely change every day, perhaps intraday. We're hearing things like, I want to build it once, and I need to be able to deploy it everywhere, on every screen, cloud, mobile, web. And we're also hearing things like, I need to build applications in a way where I can collaborate with a whole bunch of stakeholders. You can imagine across large enterprises, the number of people that want to see, experience, provide input, and actually be a part of the overall governance process of these solutions, it is very broad across the enterprise right now. It's not uh, you know one or two business leaders who are generally making these decisions. It is a broad set of people. So we're seeing this need. I need to be able to build in a way where I can quickly build and show what I have built to a tremendous number of stakeholders. And then also we're hearing things like, I need to be able to do all of these things, build fast, build flexible, build with a lot of input, highly collaborative, and at the same time I need to integrate with a bunch of my existing resources and applications. What we're seeing here is traditional ways of developing, both the approach and just writing applications from code from the ground up is just not going to get this done. And really the main point in all this is, for people like me who have really been preaching this message for a while, This is what low-code platforms are designed for, and I think back to this point, I think we are beginning to see an inflection point through this pandemic where clients want to build in these ways, and the old way of doing it just isn't going to get it done for them.
2: I think that's a great point, and I want to say also, just to echo that, that speed is addictive. Right now, we need it, and so we're rapidly responding to new problems and opportunities by creating applications with speed using low code. But we've seen repeatedly in the history of the technology industry, that when speed is introduced for any reason, whether necessity or something else, it quickly becomes adopted as a necessity by the market. I remember when Google first rolled out and they would tell you at the bottom of a search that it took 0.18 seconds. And that was back in the day when nothing on a computer took 0.18 seconds. The screen didn't even refresh that fast. but As soon as Google did it, it became the new norm. We all expected our applications to respond quickly because we'd seen Google do it. When Amazon came out with their Prime program, at first it seemed like a luxury. We don't need our packages in two days, but a few years later, we all want that. We all actually expect it now because speed is addictive. And I think right now we're in one of those moments when speed is being thrust upon us, but we're also going to get a taste for it whereas we have been tolerant in the past of software that moved slowly and maybe wasn't updated very frequently and maybe didn't have the latest interface or run on the latest device. I think that the era of toleration for that kind of software is now ending. We're seeing that it's possible to create software quickly, that changes quickly, that stays up to date. We're not going to want to go back. I believe that this is a threshold moment for software generally, as we witness that it is possible to have speed, we're gonna want speed all the time.
0: Matt, as you began, you spoke of how companies need a unique application for a unique and unforeseen circumstance. In this series of podcasts related to COVID-19, we like to close out by taking a look ahead. Without a doubt, you both have your eyes fixed firmly on the horizon, looking for the next unique circumstance. So I'd like to conclude by asking, Looking forward to the next six to 12 months, how do you see low-code automation enabling companies to adapt and to adjust quickly to their operational challenges?
1: I'd like to close by going back to where I started, which is I really see low-code as the unifier across the digital landscape. And what I mean by that is, you know, we have experienced digital tech overload over the last several years. The technologies and/or buzzwords, or however you want to refer to them—AI, RPA, cloud, virtual assistants, machine learning, data analytics—we could go on and create a huge list. But when we think about those things, they are capabilities more than they are solutions in and of themselves. We need the world to begin to see that these capabilities have to be unified into solutions that actually address client problems, client issues. They drive outcomes. And this is where I think low-code comes in. Low-code, in my mind, is the unifying fabric where we will begin to build solutions across all of those technologies that I just mentioned, and low-code platforms like Appian will be the fabric. The second thing I would offer is, to pick up on a point that Matt said, low-code is not just about simple apps. I would add to that it's not just about new applications as well. I fundamentally believe that we are going to see a wave of modernizing the legacy technology estate on low-code platforms. And what I mean by that is most large enterprises have hundreds, if not thousands, of legacy applications. And as this market matures, as the low-code market matures, you know, I fundamentally believe we're going to see a wave of beginning to rewrite those legacy applications on low-code platforms. Although it won't look like writing, it'll look like configuring those applications rapidly. And perhaps the most salient example I could give right now is I've talked to many clients who have been on this journey to the cloud. And the primary principle of the journey was let's lift and shift all of these legacy applications to the cloud. And so many of them are beginning to tell me that this is not driving the results they expected, And I think the dialogue is quickly gonna become, wait a minute, the primary objective is not lift and shift. Perhaps many of these applications should never make the journey to the cloud. We wrote them 30 years ago, they're inefficient, they're not modernized for the cloud, let's retire them and quickly rebuild them on low-code platforms. Just in summary, I think we will see a tremendous amount of use of low-code to unify this complicated digital landscape But I actually believe, as Matt was saying, this is the future of how we're going to write applications. And we're gonna modernize a tremendous amount of legacy tech on these platforms.
0: Matt and Marcus, thank you both for being here today and for sharing your insights into such a fascinating and an important topic for these times. Matt, you were once quoted as saying that One of your passions is breaking down big concepts into simpler and smaller parts. That movement from, as you describe it, the complicated to the comprehensible. You and Marcus have helped do that for our listeners, and we're so thankful. And to our listeners, thank you for joining us. We'll look forward to bringing you other insights from our KPMG advisors in the next edition of What Now, What Next? In the meantime, you can check out the other podcasts in our series at visit.kpmg.us slash COVID-19. Thank you.